What's up guys, this is Taking the Field with Stevie Mac and on this episode we're going to talk about the Whip Snakes without Rambo, kind of go through and break all that down a little bit more touched on it a few weeks ago here on the podcast but like i said we'll go a lot more in depth with that here in just a moment later on i want to get to the power rankings haven't been able to do that here in the past couple weeks with things like the all-star break and the bye week following that so we'll get back to the power rankings here a little bit later on then we'll round out the show as i always like to do getting your thoughts your comments in the mix as well at stevie mac media is where you you can follow me on Twitter for all PLL and lacrosse related discussion. But to start off the show here, like I said, I want to really go through and break down the whip snakes without Matt Rambo and the struggles that they have had here over the past month or so in his absence. So the whip snakes started the year with Rambo healthy and in the lineup at three and oh, since then, like I said, over the past month or so without him, since then they are one in three in their last four games with a negative 20 total score differential in those games. Their three losses in that stretch are by 10, 6, and 5 goals now in a row. The offense with Rambo, if you want to compare life with Rambo compared to without him, with him in the lineup, they were averaging 13.3 goals a game in that three-game stretch to start the season with him healthy in the lineup. Without him, though, over these past four games with which they've struggled heavily on offense, they're averaging just eight and a half goals a game. So a five goal difference between having him in the lineup and having him out of the lineup. So the problem really that I'm noticing now with this whip snakes team without Rambo in these last handful of games is that without him, they seemingly have no clutch factor offensively outside of maybe Zed Williams. But with with Matt Rambo in the in the lineup, you always had that guy that late in the shot clock or in a late game situation, if you needed a you needed a goal or you needed a play to be made offensively, Rambo more often than not was the guy that you went to in that situation. You can even look back to earlier this season against the the Atlas in Baltimore in the last full game that he appeared in. He had that overtime goal to to get the win for the Whip Snakes in that game. And you can even go all the way back to 2019 with his overtime goal in the 2019 championship game. But he's always been sort of that clutch guy for the for the Whip Snakes, and they don't have that necessarily with him out of the lineup. Although you can go back a couple weeks ago to the Whip Snakes and Archers game where Jay Carlson had the goal with about 30 seconds left in that one to give the Whip Snakes the win by one. But outside of that one instance, they really haven't had that in any of the other games that Rambo wasn't present in. But the other issue that they're having, I mentioned not having the clutch factor outside of maybe Zed, but even the, the problem with that is that without a guy like Rambo present in the lineup, it's allowing defenses to play them differently with some of these matchups. And more specifically, I think that these defenses have been more aggressive with their slides and throwing double teams at guys like Zed to really put some pressure on him as now being being one of the primary playmakers in that offense. And really these defenses to me by doing that are showing that they're not afraid of getting beat anymore. Like if they had been this aggressive before with Rambo in the lineup, yeah, they'd probably be getting burned time and time again. So you're seeing that 
these defenses are are playing this offense a little bit differently with the way that they're matching up. They're, they're definitely being a little more aggressive at times because without him in the lineup, this offense for the Whipsnakes doesn't really pose as heavy of, of a threat as what it used to. But I think you can't solely blame it on the offense in this situation. But when you look at the the Whipsnakes defense, they're now, I think, being exposed a little bit more because they're, the, the Whipsnakes offense has no ability to possess the ball, which puts then a ton of pressure on their defense. You look at the defense, they're giving up 13.5 goals a game over their last four. Again, like I said, 1-3 overall record in those last four games. And the league average for the season right now is 12 goals against per game. So their score differential, as I mentioned earlier, in their last four is negative five per game. So they're minus 20 overall in their last four. So per game, they're losing by, you know, four or five, six goals each game. So again, not really what we would expect from a team like the Whipsnakes in this instance. But also, I think that their lack of ability on offense, their lack of ability to possess and lack of ability to produce at the offensive end is also putting a lot more pressure now on that defense and Kyle Burnlore in the cage. But we've talked about Rambo sort of taking some of the pressure off this offense with his quote-unquote clutch ability or his clutch factor. And we've also talked about now how it's kind of putting some pressure on the defense as well because of the the offense's inability to possess the ball for for periods of time. But also one of the things that's hurt them specifically in the last two games has been the struggles of Joan Ardella at the stripe with his his ability to win them faceoffs in the last two games. You look at his first five games of the year, Nardella was one of the top two faceoff guys in the league, battling it out with TD Erlin for the top spot. In his first five games, he was going 61% and even had two games within that first five-game stretch where he was 70% or better and had four games where he had 16 or more wins in that game alone. Whereas you contrast that with the last two games he's played, he's 38% over those two games and has 16 combined wins over those two games. So you talk about having four games of 16 or more wins the first half of the year. Now he has 16 total wins in his last two. So I think the good news in this situation for the Whipsnakes is that Jim Stagnita said after their game Sunday afternoon that they're working towards getting Rambo back for the final weekend of the regular season and heading towards the playoffs. And that's a very big weekend for this Whipsnakes club because their two games that they have that weekend are against really, really tough opponents in the Redwoods and the Archers. And these are games that I think plain and simply they need to win, not just for the purposes of the standings, but I think just for momentum in general, right? Like entering the postseason with a bit of confidence and being able to, to, take down two teams that are currently ahead of you in the standings and and getting a playmaker like Matt Rambo back, getting a, a leader like that back on the field, I think will be very important for them heading into the postseason. So I think that's definitely 
something that needs to happen for this club is getting him back on the field. And, and obviously if, if his injury is that severe that it's kept him out for this long, then obviously don't put him back out there. If he's not ready to go similar with the injury to Michael Sowers, they've, they've really been holding him out. I think for a while with his concussion issues that he suffered at the beginning of the year because again if the injury is that severe why rush him back and risk getting him more injured and I think that the same like I said can be said about Matt Rambo in this case is you're going to make the postseason so why put him back out there if he's not ready because then you're just going to make the injury that much worse but I I do think that even with getting him back in the lineup and this is something that Stagnita touched on in that postgame press conferences that Rambo isn't holistically the answer for this team like getting him back in the lineup is not going to fix all their problems yes he is a big part of the puzzle with this whip snakes club but but and he is a part of who who they were before the injury you know we talked about them being the gold standard in in pro field lacrosse and the team that everybody was kind of looking up at in that instance but and I just, I think that like Stagnita said, he's not the answer. He's not the only thing that's wrong with this team right now is, is his absence. There's, there's a lot of other things going on that we need to address, but yeah, I think getting him back in the lineup and getting his leadership back, especially on the offensive half of the field is going to be very, very important for this whip snakes club. But on the other side of this break, we're going to get to the power rankings following this past weekend in Colorado. Some some new teams up near the top of those rankings, but we'll get to all eight of the power rankings next on Taking the Field with Stevie Mack. Welcome back. Taking the field with Stevie Mac. Segment two of three here on a Monday following the PLL weekend in Colorado. We're getting into going to get to the power rankings here, excuse me, in just a second. Like I said before the break, some new faces up near the top of the rankings, some shakeup here in the top four or five. So to get right to it. Uh, the Atlas come in at number one. They're the number one team in the PLL standings right now after going 2-0 and in Colorado over the weekend. But I also think that they're the hottest team right now in the league. They've rattled off five straight wins with a combined score differential of plus 23 over that span. So per game, that's a 4.6, excuse me, 4.6 score differential per game. And I think J.D. Cole Russo in the cage replacing Jack Kincannon has been absolutely fantastic. He's currently at 51.6%. Uh, in his first three starts replacing Kincannon in the cage, and he's averaging just over 10.5 saves per game. So like I said, doing a phenomenal job in the cage for this Atlas team. And the defense, I think, has also really helped him out in a lot of ways as well. They've really played strong in front of him on the defensive half of the field, giving up a little bit over 10 goals per game over that three-game stretch, which... In this league, if you can hold teams to 9, 10, 11 goals, 
most nights you're going to have a good shot at winning, and that's exactly what Cole Russo and this defense has done over these past few games. And that is a big reason why with this five game stretch that they're on right now is a big reason why they're now not only number one in these power rankings, but number one in the league standing as well. Number two, I've got the water dogs and it's crazy for me to think back to the beginning of this year because there was a time at one point or another where the Atlas and the Water Dogs occupied that number eight spot in these power rankings, and now they're the top two teams in the league and top two teams in these power rankings. And the Water Dogs have now won three straight, and Dylan Ward, to me, looks like the goalie that I was told he would be when he got his chance to start this year. I've, I've talked about it before. Uh, on past episodes of the podcast about his struggles that first half of the season in the cage for them and defensively just the struggles that the Water Dogs had uh, that first half of the year. But now you're really starting to see that defensive unit and Dylan Ward in particular playing at the high level that we were told to expect from them going into this season. And during this three-game stretch, Ward has made 66% of his saves, including a season-high 76% with a season-high 19 saves in their game the other day against the Whipsnakes. The Archers, I've got number three. The Archers ended their three-game losing streak to the Redwoods this weekend, and Grant Amon is one of the leaders in points offensively for the entire league, not just for the for the Archers, but for the entire league. And Adam Gittleman is continuing to play at such a high level this year. He's above 60% on saves for the year. And the Archers, to go along with that, have the number one defense in scores against per game. So despite their now-ended losing streak of three games that they ended this past weekend in Colorado, I, I really think that this is a top three, at worst, top four team in the PLL right now. I've got the Redwoods at number four because putting the Archers over the Redwoods, I think, was tough, but I think that you could make a case for the Redwoods at three, and I think that considering the Archers ended their losing streak, like I said, by beating the Redwoods head-to-head -head this weekend, it makes that argument a bit harder for putting the Redwoods over the Archers because of recency. But the Redwoods, I think, are still kind of like how I said with the Archers. They're at worst a top four team right now, despite being two and two in their last four games. But this is a team that's still third and scores against average in the league. They're number one in faceoffs, thanks to TD Erlen, and they have the number one penalty killing unit in the PLL. So this team, while they might kind of be a fringe top three team right now, they will be ready to compete come the playoffs here in a couple weeks. Number five, I've got the Whipsnakes. To me, it's kind of like the how I said at the beginning of this segment with the Atlas and the Whips, or excuse me, the Atlas and the Water Dogs going from the bottom of the rankings to the top. This is similar to me having the Whipsnakes at five. It's crazy to think that just a few games ago, the Whipsnakes have gone from being the first place team to now all the way down to fifth in the PLL standings, and that's where I have them in these power rankings. But the Whipsnakes, as I discussed in segment one have really struggled without Matt Rambo not just offensively but you're seeing the effects of that defensively and now with the struggles of Joe Nardella at the stripe the past couple games but 
he he may not possess the answers for the whip snakes but as talked about earlier he hides a lot of their inefficiencies because of that sort of, sort of clutch factor that we talked about and his ability to command that offense the way that we know he can do and uh yeah i mean you just look at you look at this team even defensively as as good as we've seen them be defensively. I don't believe they're even top three, top four in the PLL anymore in terms of scores against. And even as good as we, as we know that a guy like Kyle Burnlore is in the cage, the whip snakes currently rank seventh in goalie statistics in the league. So the whip snakes check in at number five, number six, I've got the chaos. The chaos have had their share of issues this season for sure where things like the offense has been wildly inconsistent at times. You even go back to that game against the Atlas where they went almost 24 whole minutes of game time without scoring a goal. And we've talked at length about the issues they've had at the stripe this year on faceoffs. And I think the defense as well, similarly with the offense, can go stretches of games where they play just kind of poorly in front of Blaze Reardon. But somehow, despite all of that, but despite their their struggles offensively, despite their struggles at the at the faceoff stripe, despite all of that, they're they're one win away from being a 500 team with two games left in their regular season schedule. So if they win out those last two games, they will actually finish above 500 despite the struggles that they've had this year. And one bright spot that you can take from this chaos team has been their ability to space the field offensively and to get open looks for two pointers, because that is something that they are now tied for second in, in the league is two point goals with eight. And for a while there, they were actually tied for first with the Atlas, but now they're tied for second as the Atlas have now overtaken them by a couple of two pointers. But the cannons come in at number seven. The cannons are good, but then again, they're really not, right? Like, it's kind of a weird thing where it's like, we know they're good, but yet they, somehow they're just not putting it together. So they play hard, I think. They play for the full 48 minutes of game, but they just don't, I think, have what it takes right now to win in this league. I mean, they lost another one goal game this weekend and that's their fifth one goal loss of the, or excuse me, fifth one goal game of the year. And in those five games, they're now one and four and it's their second one goal loss at the hands of the Atlas this year. And the, the stripe for the cannons has been really tough. It's, it's been really tough going for them this year on faceoffs even despite overhauling that position mid-season. I mean, you talk about they moved on from Tommy Kelly. They 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 made a trade to bring in Reisman. They signed Peyton Smith. They completely overhauled that position, and yet you're still seeing those same struggles for them on faceoffs. And then Chrome come in to round out the power rankings at number eight. I mean, plain and simply here, the Chrome should not be this bad. And I get that they've had their injuries. It's been well talked about on this show. It's been well talked about on lacrosse Twitter throughout the season. Yes, they've had their injuries to some key guys, but many of those came in the early stages of the season where you've had plenty of time since then 
to to go out in the player pool and and to get better and make the kind of adjustments that you need to make and and really I've I've only really seen them bringing in offensive players. Yes, they've struggled offensively throughout the year. Guys like Gutterding just have have really failed to get going this year. It took Colin Heacock several games to get going. They really relied those first couple weekends on some of those rookies that they had offensively, like Jackson Morrill in specific. So they go out and they sign some offensive guys like Tom Palasek. Uh, Malloy, even bringing in Kevin Rogers early in the season out of the player pool as a rookie. But with injuries to guys like Bernhardt and JT Giles Harris, who was their first round pick this year and has missed the entire season because of injury, it's really surprised me the lack of of moves that they've made on the defensive side. Yes, they've made one or two signings and things like that, but but really choosing to focus more on overhauling the offense rather than making some signings and and some roster changes with the defense to to cushion some of the blow from losing guys like Bernhardt. Um because I think that while this league's the, with the league, the offense is always going to be good, right? Like we've talked about before, the the sort of arms race offensively that some of these teams uh, went through this offseason, teams like the Archers more specifically. But at the same time, you still have to be able to stop someone once in a while. But the Chrome over their last four games are giving up over 15 goals per game in that stretch. So I I can understand wanting to make the moves that they've made offensively to create some, some consistency on that end, but you, you still have to be able to stop somebody once in a while. And they just haven't been able to do that this year, which is why they currently sit, I believe after this weekend at two and five, maybe two and six overall on the year. But we got one more segment to hit on as we wrapped up the power rankings here in segment two. Final segment coming out of the break. We're going to get to your thoughts, your comments following this weekend in Colorado for the PLL. We got one more weekend of the regular season to hit here in a couple weeks out in Albany. But you're listening to Taking the Field with Stevie Mack. Welcome back. Final segment here on Taking the Field with Stevie Mac. Segment one, we went over a little bit of a deep dive into the struggles by the Whipsnakes here over their last handful of games without Matt Rambo. Good news is, though, that they're looking to get him back for the final week of the regular season out in Albany. Segment two, we hit on the power rankings. Atlas checked in at number one on the list here this week. Chrome rounded us out at number eight. Final segment here, we're going to get to your thoughts and your comments from this past weekend in Colorado for the PLL. At Stevie Mac Media is my Twitter handle. You can hit me up there for all lacrosse and show-related discussion. From Michael Ramirez, good friend of the show, on Twitter says, Atlas at 6-2 and two is far beyond what I expected from the Bulls. The family dinner mentality has everyone buying in, and you're seeing the end result. Ben Rubior has been playing chess since day one. Yeah, I mean... I've, I've even said it at times on this show over the past month or so as this now five game winning streak for the for the Atlas has gone on is that 
all I wanted to see from them this year was that, especially after that loss to the to the Archers in week one, all I wanted to see from them was putting that vision in place that Ben Rubior talked about when he when he first got hired by the Atlas in 2020. He talked about that vision of what he wanted this team to be, the style that they wanted to play, the, the personnel that he wanted to bring in. I really wanted to see that vision take shape, and I just wanted to see after that loss to the Archers a week-to-week improvement, that you're installing the system, you're getting the guys in place to be able to run that system, and play that style between the arcs like he talked about. But I don't think any of us could have predicted that we would see it this early on. I think we all sort of thought, okay, maybe by the end of this year and, you know, heading into 2022, that's when you're going to start to see sort of those gears start to turn with this team. I don't think we imagined it happening by the, by the fourth week of the regular season and even continuing it on as we make our push to the playoffs. So yes, they have made a lot of really solid moves to set themselves up for where they currently are because they went into this past off season and just completely blew it up. They traded anybody they could get something for and they they really hit on a lot of their entry draft picks and I think especially in the college draft as well between those two yes they did have a lot of picks that they could work with but they hit on so many of those and I think that's a big reason why they've been so successful as of late is because it was so important for them to hit on some of those picks the way that they did with guys like Teat going number one or Jake Carraway or or Danny Logan, or even we saw the arrival of Peter Durth this weekend suiting up for the Atlases. They had five of their six rookies uh, from the from the college draft dressed this weekend in Colorado. So yes, we are starting to see that Ben Rubior vision really taking shape right here, right now in 2021, when I think most of us thought it was going to be probably 2022 until we really saw them start to reap those benefits. Uh, from King Street Linden, he says, We like to say that these rosters are super talented and they should add more teams, but ultimately, an expansion team rarely has success, even with the MLL surplus coming in. So I think here, it's more so just being able to identify talent and identifying fit for your team. Just because a guy maybe had success in a past in a past life now, I guess you could say in the MLL doesn't mean that they might necessarily come in and be an instant impact on your team. I, I definitely think that fit has a lot to do with it. And that's something you're seeing with this Atlas team is they traded away guys like Rabel and, and Busick and Ryan Brown and, and Rob Pinnell that were more individual players. You know, they could they could make plays on their own, and they went for guys that could more fit the system that they wanted to run, that family style that we've been talking about. So I think that, and, and you even look at a team like the Atlas, I would argue that in a sense, they kind of came into this year as an expansion team because of the work that they did in the offseason to overhaul this roster and completely flip it from where it was even a year ago. Um, Coach Shrek, as always, had to light us up with several comments here this weekend, so we'll, we'll get to each one of his. 
He starts it out by saying, we give the Atlas offense and Ben Rubio a lot of credit and FaceTime. However, we have to commend Clawson and the Atlas defense for how well they played so far this season. Yeah, and I think that anytime you have the kind of firepower that this Atlas offense now possesses with some of these young guys like Caraway and Jeff Teat and the ability for those kinds of guys to play within the offense the way that they are and and the sort of unselfish play that we're seeing from that unit specifically here over the past few weeks and really embodying that family mentality that they have that yeah it's easy to get caught up in all the goals and the and the plays that they're making at that end of the field but no I I definitely agree that it can't be overlooked or overstated how well this defense has been playing and I I even mentioned it during the power rankings in segment two is that even with now with JD Cole Russo in the cage for the injured Jack and cannon, there's been zero. And I mean, zero drop off from this team defensively and the goalie position in particular with this Atlas team. So yes, they have done a fantastic job on that end of the field. And I think the only reason that their their scores against average, when you look at the PLL website, the only reason I think that they aren't higher up on that list on the PLL rankings is because of that game against the Archers week one, kind of still being haunted by that game in a sense. And also in their win against the Cannons about a month ago now, when they gave up 17 goals in a win, right? So it's like, I think that they've definitely played better sense those games, but they're still in a sense being haunted by giving up that many goals in those two games. Uh, he then says, Whipsnakes look like a shell of their former selves, Nardella getting owned at the stripe, Whips giving up big runs, and nobody, not named Zed Williams, really stepping up in Ra in Rambo's presence or excuse me, in Rambo's absence. Yeah, and that's something I talked about at the top of the show. You know, they've definitely struggled. They're now 1-3 in their last four games. Uh, I believe I said they have a negative 20 score differential over that span. So yeah, they're not playing well. Nardella now compounding the issue with his struggles the last two games at the stripe, and they really have no clutch ability offensively outside of Zed Williams, but with the absence of Rambo, that's now putting added pressure on him even to produce at a high level for this offense. Uh, Shrek says Redwood's turnover problems haunt them again. It felt like they were playing Atlas all over again in week two. So many shots either wide or right at Gittleman on his stick. Yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to watch that game on Saturday. I was attending my first ever wedding that I've ever been to. Um, so I didn't really get a chance to watch the game from Saturday uh, with the Redwoods, but very quietly, the Redwoods don't turn the ball over a ton. If you, if you go look at the stats on the PLL website, they don't turn it over a ton, but when they do, it's at very inopportune times. Like it, it really hurts them the times that they do. Right. So, and from what it sounds like, this was another one of those games where it just, it kills their momentum offensively. It kills their ability to make plays and again, it just, it happens at the most inopportune times. 
And then he says, also great seeing Dylan Malloy back in the PLL. May not fully be the answer the Chrome are looking for long term, but overall the dude can straight up ball out. Yeah, it is nice after we've talked about it at length on on lacrosse Twitter about when is he going to get signed, who's going to be the one to sign him, and things like that. Now he's here so we can kind of put that to rest and now we get to enjoy watching him play in the PLL with the Croman. And yeah, maybe he doesn't make the biggest impact for this team. It may have been possibly a little uh, too little too late for this Chrome team trying to get anything going for them in terms of momentum. But yeah, it is just in general, it's nice to have a talent like Dylan Malloy now present in the league. And from Thomas Walters to round out the show says, do teams with more 2019 and 2020 PLL veterans have better success than teams with more rookies and MLL players? It would take some work to run the numbers, but it would be interesting to see just how much veteran presence helps in this league. So yeah, I mean, he mentions having to to work out the numbers and really breaking down these rosters. And maybe that's something that I can do heading into Thursday's episode here on Taking the Field with Stevie Mac. But if I had to guess, based off just kind of the eye test, so to speak, and, and knowing what we know about the makeups of these eight clubs, is that it almost seems like you have to have a, a balance, right? Like you have to have a balance of former MLL guys, a couple college picks, maybe, you know, a couple impact rookies this year, but then also having guys that have played at least dating back to 2020 together, if not going back all the way to 2019. So I think that when you look at a team like, let's say the Redwoods, the majority, I would argue, of that team has been playing together on this Redwood squad since 2019. Now you add in an impact rookie like TD Erlin, you make a trade for a guy like Rob Pinnell this offseason, or on the other end of the spectrum, you look at a team like the Atlas who just completely blew it up and went for whoever gave them the best fit for their system. They they went through the the uh, entry draft, they went through the college draft, and they loaded up on MLL talent and high-impact rookies with a lot of those early picks in the first two rounds. So yeah, I, I definitely think that in a sense, you have to have a healthy balance between guys that have played together the past couple of years on their respective clubs. You have to have at least one or two impact rookies on your team, and and maybe you go out in the entry draft and and get a veteran guy from from the MLL in uh, the entry draft. So yeah, I, I definitely think if you go through and really break it down with these eight rosters, I'd love to see what the what the differences and similar and similarities is. And I said that that's something that we might be able to hit on come Thursday's episode on the podcast. But just kind of taking it for what it is at face value and knowing what we know about the makeups of these rosters, I do think that to some degree it takes a healthy balance of having guys from the MLL from the entry draft, having guys from the college draft that can come in right away and make an impact and having guys, like I said, with the Redwoods in particular, having a unit like their midfield where you've got guys like like Perkovic and Miles Jones and Henningberg and guys like that that have played together now for multiple years and know each other's tendencies and things like that definitely makes a difference for your club. 
But that'll do it for this episode of Taking the Field with Stevie Mac. Make sure to like, comment, and share on this post as always. You can check out the podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, including Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts. It's now, it's now on iHeartRadio and tune in as well for you to listen to and follow along there. But that'll do it for me. I'll talk to you guys later.